You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Bill Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio. Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, the local, the state, the national, we cover down on all the issues. And like the dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, it is Fry. Yay! Hit the, hit the explosion and the applause, bud. <laughs> we did it, guys. Woo-hoo! You made it to Friday. <laughs> uh, Boomer, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. Good. I'm good, 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 good. It's back cold again, so it's Yeah, it's what's reasonable, chilly. at least. I mean, it feels like spring out there, to be honest. I know. I just love it. I got the windows open in my office. I got the windows open in the studio. <laughs> I drove through the truck with the windows open on the way. I mean, what the... It, this is January, right? I, I believe so. Last, last I time checked. I checked, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unless I really slept hard last night and woke up in May, I think this is still January. But um, all right. Hey, we got a great show laid up for you. Uh, Calling in at three o'clock today, Justin Bogey. He's been on the show many times. He's a longtime fiscal analyst. He's now also a fiscal reporter with 1819 News. Justin Bogey will be on at three o'clock to talk with us about things going on in D.C. with the debt ceiling. What in the world? Is it really going to be like financial Armageddon? Yeah, well, we'll talk with Justin about that. That's also going to be part of the Triple Dipper, which I'm getting to now. So hit it. The Triple Dipper. Three stories you've got to know. That's right. The Triple Dipper. Three stories, three themes, if you will, that we have got to go with as we run today's show with. So number one, raising the roof. You like what I did there? Debt ceiling, raising the roof. That was pretty good. Okay. (laughs) Raising the roof. What is this debt ceiling? What's that all about? How does that work? Why do we have to worry about it? Is it really going to be a big deal if we cut spending? Uh, it depends on who you talk to, because I'll be honest with you. I look at it and think, you and I, uh, we have a cap on our spending, right? You can't go past your credit card limit, right? Well, apparently in D.C., they have fits when they can't get past their credit card limit. We'll talk about it. Number one, raising the roof. Number two, bowing up. All right, so... You know, down here in Alabama, that's how we can say things. Those of y'all listen to our podcasts in Ohio and California, just be aware, bowing up means you're pushing back. You're, you're literally, you're bowing up at somebody. Well, I've got a series of stories where wokeism, oh yeah, we're bowing up and, and I'm enjoying it. So I'll tell you about those when we get into number two of the Triple Dipper. And then number three, right off the bat, I came across this, the coolest story about an older gentleman right up here in our neck of the woods in DeKalb County, Alabama. And then I found another one uh, from Octavia Spencer, the great actress, award-winning, Academy Award-winning actress from uh, Alabama. And I thought, you know what? These are just great stories. And I found another and then another. I thought, you know what? I've got a whole section here now. I'm going to call this It Ain't All Bad. So there's some good news stories out there, and we're going to wrap the week up with those. Number three on the Triple Dipper, It Ain't All Bad. Well, listen, let me let me get to my comments. Um, my monologue for today is is got a a bit of history attached to it. And I got to tell you, if the world seems a bit upside down to you, then you are not alone. (laughs) Many of us look around at what seems to be a never-ending battle to keep right, right, and wrong, wrong. Chaos is too often the order of the day. Sometimes it feels like speaking out against it is just like spitting in the wind. I mean, is it possible for one person or just a few together to make a difference? And, And to what end? 
Can we really hunker down and make something happen when all the world seems to be pitted against the idea of stopping good people from doing good things? Well, I'm here to tell you the answer to those questions is yes. Spitting in the wind, maybe, but you can still make a difference. I'll also tell you, though, that you may not always get to see the full result of your efforts. Oh, great pep talk, Phil. (laughs) Well, what I mean by that is if we do what we know to be right only because we want to personally walk in the result, then we've just limited our capacity for doing good. But if we view our actions, our calling, our mission as being bigger than ourselves, then we will go at it with a fervor that says, I'm in this all the way, even for the next generation of people that I can't see. So that others who come after me don't have to put up with this stuff. It's called selfless service. It's what leaders do. It's what heroes do. At Fort Benning, Georgia, there's a parade field called the Field of Four Chaplains. I became aware of it back when I was a young lieutenant at Benning for training. And that's, you know, what's that about, I wondered? The Field of Four Chaplains. So here's their story, which happens to be very close to hitting its 80th year. Four Army chaplains received the highest honors ever bestowed for valor. In the latter days of January 1943, the USS Dorchester set sail for Greenland from New York Harbor. The Dorchester was a converted freighter that carried 902 men en route to the war in Europe. Among those 902 men were four brand new first lieutenants, all of whom were Army chaplains. There was Methodist minister George Fox, Jewish rabbi Alexander Good, Catholic priest John Washington, and Reformed Church of America minister Clark Poling. And as the ship crossed the waters to Greenland, it was torpedoed in the dark of the night of February 3rd, 1943. Instantly, the power went out, and the ship began taking on water. And the men in the lower holds couldn't see, and panic set in, but the four chaplains are said to have been everywhere, comforting men, organizing them for evacuation, issuing life jackets, and basically providing much-needed calm and leadership to the chaos of a sinking ship. Well, one young survivor told how he was floating in the freezing oily water, hearing men crying and screaming, but overall he could also hear the voices of the four chaplains preaching courage. He said it was their voices that gave him hope. Another sailor, a survivor, Petty Officer John J. Mahoney, he tried to rush back to his cabin to get his gloves because it was the middle of winter, but Rabbi Good, one of the four chaplains, stopped him. Mahoney said that Good said, Never mind, I have two pairs. And the rabbi then gave Mahoney a pair of gloves, which he realized later was actually the rabbi's only pair of gloves. Now, topside, the chaplains got to a storage locker. They began distributing life jackets. An engineer, Grady Clark, told of witnessing an amazing moment when there were no more life jackets in the storage room. The chaplains took off their own life jackets and gave them to the four frightened young men who stood in front of them. It was the finest thing I have ever seen or hope to see this side of heaven, said one of the survivors who saw the chaplain's selfless act. It was entirely selfless, even more so when you consider what the four chaplains memorial foundation points out today. It says that, quote, when giving their life jackets, Rabbi Good did not call out for a Jew. Father Washington did not call out for a Catholic, and nor did Reverend Fox or Poland call out for a Protestant. They simply gave their life jackets to the next man in line. Survivors say that as the ship went down, They could see the four chaplains standing together with their arms linked and braced against a slanting deck. Their voices could still be heard offering prayers up as the ship went down. Survivor James Erdley, he watched from the water as the ship sank, and he said, when she rolled, all I could see was the keel up there. And we saw the four chaplains standing arm in arm like they were looking up to heaven, you might say. And then the boat took a nosedive, and it went right down, and they went with it. Of the 902 men aboard the Dorchester, 672 died, 
leaving 230 survivors. It shocked the nation. It was the second largest maritime disaster of all of World War II. The four chaplains were actually recommended for the Medal of Honor, but because they were not armed combatants dealing with an armed enemy, they were each posthumously awarded the Distinguished Service Cross instead and the Purple Heart. That's still the second highest award you can get. No one can say for sure how many of the 230 survivors owed their lives to the four chaplains, but the sentiment is that the death toll would have been much higher. And the sacrifice, the selfless sacrifice of the four chaplains to the extent that they willingly gave their own lives, well, their story galvanized the nation. In 1948, the U.S. Postal Service issued a special stamp in their honor with the faces of all four men on it and the words, these immortal chaplains, interfaith in action. And it didn't end there. Efforts continued to have the four chaplains' awards for valor upgraded to the Medal of Honor, but in the end, even Congress couldn't get that done because of the strict guidelines for that medal. So for the only time in U.S. history, almost two decades after the Dorchester was sunk, Congress convened to create a one-time special medal for heroism, and what became known as the Chaplain's Medal of Honor was intended by the Congress to carry the same weight and the meaning as the original Medal of Honor, and it was just for those four men. It's never been given before or since, and no other medal has ever been established by Congress outside of the Congressional Medal of Honor and the Chaplain's Medal of Honor for those four men. The medal has an eagle with wings stretched upward on the front and the names of the four chaplains on the back. Like I said, it's the only time that such a medal has ever been created and awarded. It's a visual reminder of four men who did all they could to do the right thing, the good thing, even knowing that they themselves would not have the opportunity to participate in the results. And because of that, they created a legacy. So back to my original point. Is the world chaotic? Short answer, yes. Does it feel like pushing back against the onslaught of wokeness and liberal policies is like spitting in the wind? Yes, again. But we cannot be idled by the misguided notions that spitting in the wind has no meaning. Those four chaplains did not do the things they did so they could personally survive. They did what they did because it was right and because they intended that others should survive. So I'll tell you right now, keep staring at liberals. Keep spitting in the wind. You have no idea the legacy you might help to create doing it. And that's a wrap for The Right Side Way. It's a great story. Man, I encourage you. Look up the, look up the four chaplains. That's all you got to do. You Google the four chaplains, I guarantee you'll find story after story. Personal recounting. People saying that literally as the ship went down, they could see the four chaplains holding on to each other's arms and praying to the heavens together after they had saved so many lives. It's an amazing story. And it just shows you, you may not be a part of the result, but you're the one who created the result. And that matters. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. We are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and 
Just plain right. I'm going to tell you right now. Um, I just got a text uh, from, from Charlene who said about the monologue a moment ago. She said, so good, but you might want to clarify you're not saying go spit on liberals. <laughs> spitting in the wind, honey. I was spitting, spitting in the wind. Doesn't mean we're spitting on liberals. But anyway, her point's well taken. Okay. Phil Williams did not advocate going out there and spitting in a liberal's face. I didn't say that. Um, got some other great responses on the text line. Allie from Athens says, you got me crying already, Colonel. Um, John from Brownsboro says, but what happens when four chaplains walk into a bar? It's okay. <laughs> I told, what's funny is I told Charlene what I was writing about. It. She goes, sounds like you're about to tell a bar joke anyway. Uh, so yeah, they think the same. <laughs> Dustin from Hazel Green texts it in says, looking it up now. Thanks for that, Phil. Of all the World War II history, I, I know I've never heard that. It's a great story. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an amazing, amazing story. And they've got the reason why I came to, uh, to be aware of it is because uh, they're at Fort Benning. They've got a parade field that used to be one of the main parade fields. Now it's kind of like an adjunct parade field at Fort Benning. And it's called the Field of Four Chaplains. And it's right there next to um, uh, the Infantry Chapel on Fort Benning. So it's just, it's just it's, it really is. Um, uh, but <laughs> Tony from Piedmont said, just said, wow. And then he came back and said, I was a hard SOB not long ago, turned stuff on and off like a light switch, but now my eyes leak on good stuff. So <laughs> I'm with you, Tony. I had to brace myself to tell that story, by the way. I tried to tell Charlene about it this morning. I kept getting choked up. Um, and then uh, uh, we got, oh, I think that's about it for right now on, on, the, on the monologue. But I tell you what, though, if you, if you look it up, and I'm, I'm serious, it's just, 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 just Google search the four chaplains. Uh, you'll find it. And the story is um, amazing. Uh, the ship was called the Dorchester. Um, there are Dorchesters. I think the last surviving Dorchester survivor um, just passed away, I want to say, in 2005. Um, but they, they used to get together periodically. And I'll tell you what else is, is really something, too. Those four chaplains, um, one of them was uh, Chaplain Fox. He was one of the two Protestant chaplains. He had already served in World War I. He was a Silver Star and Purple Heart winner from World War I as an infantryman. He went into the ministry after World War I, and when Pearl Harbor was attacked, uh, the bio that I read said he told his wife, he, he basically said, he said, I'm going to have to go. The boys need me. Wow. Anyway, so there's, there's a guy who in two wars, two world wars, you're looking at a guy who's got... Uh, the Distinguished Service Cross, the Chaplain's Medal of Honor, the Silver Star, and two Purple Hearts, and he was a chaplain. Goodness. Um, and, and, and by the way, the, um, there, there have been a number of uh, um, medals of honor. Now, their, their situation was different. Theirs was partly dictated by where they were, but there have been several medals of honor uh, awarded to chaplains. I believe there was one, I want to say from either the 82nd Airborne or the 173rd, it was, I think it was the 173rd Airborne Brigade. Uh, a chaplain who was on the front lines in the foxholes. Uh, I think this was during Vietnam. And he went out continually. And they're, they're unarmed. Chaplains do not carry arms. In fact, they usually have a chaplain's aide that goes along with them who is like the bodyguard for the chaplain. And, um, and this chaplain just continually went out under fire to get wounded men back in, you know, carrying them on his shoulders. What do you do? I mean, wow. Not, not even there to fight. And uh, so, yeah, very cool story. Go check it out. The four chaplains, uh, you will not be disappointed. Um, All right. Hey, we got plenty of stuff on tap for you today, not the least of which is, uh, so yesterday we did a segment. We called it 
Boomer and McQueen. <laughs> we did, and it, was, it went well. <laughs> it did go well. It went well. Right, we got some good response on that. Yeah. And you guys have been uh, sort of prepping up for your uh, intro to the podcasting world. That's right. That's Digging right. It. Um, Digging it. Wednesday, February 1st, will debut uh, like four episodes, so it's going to be awesome. Tell them what you're calling it. Uh, right Life. Right Life. That's right. <laughs> good spinoff of Right Side Radio. <laughs> Yeah, so that's the next piece of the media empire that we are building here at Right Side is, uh, is Boomer and McQueen are going to have their own uh, podcast. Just talk, and, and I'll tell you what I love, you guys, is, uh, is, is that, I mean, there's an entire age demographic. I, I'm, I'm the old dude in the room, right? I, I, <laughs> I, I guess. I'm, I'm granddaddy. <laughs> I, I, I'm the guy who says, let me show you pictures of my grandkids. You know, I'm that guy. Get off my grass. But, but uh but I think it's so important that we have the next generation of um, of conservatives ready to carry the mantle, and you guys are already carrying it. But uh, I love the world hearing about what it means to carry it. Mm. So, well, we're excited about it. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Did you, did you come up with a new bump music for it? Uh, working on the bump music. Okay. <laughs> have you posted There's so the, many rules? Have you? I know. Dang. <laughs> have you posted the video yet of you guys getting the first one uh, going? Actually, I think we're uh, planning on doing all the posts this weekend. Starting doing all the posts. Good, because the video is hilarious. The video is funny. Like, uh, it, yeah. I mean, McQueen, you know, herself is just funny. So she's a hoot, man. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to be the boring guy on there now. So everybody's going to just want to listen to her. <laughs> <laughs> and rightfully so. And you know what? I'm okay with that. That's right. She's your better three quarters. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got some good stuff laid on for you, folks. We're going to come right back and we're going to start talking about the fiscal Armageddon that the media wants you to believe is going to happen in D.C. I don't know. A part of me looks at it and goes, hmm, is it? I don't know. We're going to talk about it. We're going to go down. I'm calling this whole section "Raising the Roof." You know, debt ceiling, raising the roof. <laughs> All right, so we're going to we're going to cover down on it. This is as much an education for me as anything, and and so I've got the resources to go in, and then top of the hour, I've got Justin Bogey, who's a fiscal analyst who actually spent time up on the hill, uh, and and in Montgomery, and uh, we'll get his perspective on it. But I, I I look at it and think, okay, if you and I just every time we felt like it, maxed out the credit cards and then spent more on top of it, people would call us irresponsible. But if you're a politician, people say, well, they're just keeping things running and honoring our debt. Why do we have that much debt? Why is it doubled since 2011? In, in the last 10 years, we are literally looking at, we've gone from actually more than doubled. It was $14.5 trillion in debt, which I thought was bad enough in 2011, it's now $31-plus trillion. Where does it end? All right, folks, stay tuned. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We will be right back. Right Side Ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right.
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, covering down on some ground across the great state of Alabama. I'm talking about this show goes way down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back over to Gadsden, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, and Mississippi, all thrown in just for good measure. Um, still getting, Boomer is still getting reaction on the text line from that uh, yeah, monologue. Man, I mean, it was incredible story, and I know people want to just go – Go read that, and uh, I mean, yeah, read it again because that's how awesome it was. John from Huntsville just texted in. He said, uh, looked up the four chapels on the internet. They're awesome. He named one of them George Lansing Fox. He said it was one brave man joined the army to serve in World War serve in World War One when he was just seventeen years old. Mm. Yeah, and got the Silver Star. Um, Rita from Scottsboro said, "Some thanks so much for that monologue. I can only pray that I would ever be that brave. I have a feeling there's a bunch of folks that would rise to the occasion. Rita, uh, I'm sure you'd be one of them. Uh, GI Joe down in Birmingham." Um, he pointed out that uh, chaplain assistants are now called religious affairs specialists. Okay. They're the guys that shoot you if you mess with the chaplain. That's 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 the way I look at it. Um, Brian from Huntsville uh, enjoyed it. He said the chaplain's medal of honor. That's, that's, that's good stuff. And he also said he'll take the four chaplains over the four horsemen any day. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, all right. Hey, listen, I'm jumping into number one of the triple dipper, raising the roof. I'm talking about the debt ceiling. So, First of all, I mean, you and I, we have our own personal debt ceilings. We do. At our household, we know what our pay is. We know what our income levels are supposed to be, whether it's supplemented with something besides just our paycheck or whatever. Either way, you know what your household income, generally speaking, is every month. You know what your output is. You got your inputs and your outputs, and then you got your credit lines. So if you have a credit card or a line of credit at the bank, even those line of credits with the bank or the uh, the, 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 you know, the equity loan on your home or the credit card, they have a cap on them. They, they can only go so far. And oh, by the way, they charge interest. And at some point, if you're not careful, you get upside down because you realize that all of a sudden you're having to make payments that are so big on your debt that your income can no longer sustain the interest or pay down on your debt. That's an awful place to be in. And people wind up there sometimes because of carelessness and, and you know, and, and a, a lack of, uh, of impulse control. And sometimes because they've had a bad circumstance in life, like, you know, the business failed during COVID or, or someone had a massive medical emergency. Anyway, all I'm saying is this. You and I, we know what our debt limit is. And we have to live with it. And we don't have the luxury of just going, you know, I just feel like I want to keep spending why would you do that? And, and the answer to that is you and I would be considered irresponsible. You and I would be considered like completely unwise if we knowingly, and I've seen, by the way, I've seen some horrible situations where someone takes advantage of another person. I've, I've, I've got more than one case that has come through my law firm where we've got a, uh, you know, a, a, a senior member of society, an, an elderly person who finds out later on that their family had got hold of their credit cards and bank accounts and just run up a bill just for fun. And, and that's, that's theft, by the way. Uh, that's elder abuse. But what I'm saying is there are circumstances you may not be able to control. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where we are right now as people on a day-to-day. You can't just say, well, my income is X and my expenses are Y but I just feel like spending Z. That's bad. That is very bad. Yeah. Like, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. it uh, 
it's one thing to say, I've got receivables for a business. I can see the revenue coming, but the checks are still in the mail. I know they're coming. So you draw from the line of credit to keep your cash flow going, and then you pay it back down when you get the checks in the mail. Okay. Responsibility. That's different. Yes. (laughs) You're budgeting and you're operating and your cash flow is, you know, being taken. But what would it mean if you just literally went out there and just spent wantonly because you just felt like it? Because somebody had a great idea. That's what we have in D.C. Man. Yeah. That's what we have in D.C. In D.C., the credit or the, or the debt ceiling is what you and I would call our credit line limit. You know, your cap on your credit card, that's what they have in D.C. They have the debt ceiling. They can't go past a certain point. It's the, it's the, the Treasury Department is not allowed to go any further into debt than whatever. Well, <laughs> it's, it's almost an illusion it's like saying, well, there's a line in the sand and we won't cross it until we draw a new line in the sand. Then we can cross it, but we'll stop at the next one until we draw a new line in the sand. That's what they're doing. So right now, here we are. We're at a point right now where we are at $31.4 trillion at the debt ceiling. That's not, by the way, that's not our budget. That's not our revenue. That's, that's our debt. The interest payments on the debt alone like you and I have to make a, par- a payment on the credit card and we have the minimum payment due? Well, they have interest payments due on this debt. So the, the U.S. government literally winds up having to borrow, in a sense, by selling bonds and that kind of thing, and they wind up getting stuck in a position where they have to pay off that debt, but that debt then, oh, by the way, sometimes it's easier just to pay the minimum payment like you know any other household might. But that minimum payment doesn't really absolve you of the debt. It just keeps things moving. And then when you know all you can do is make the minimum payments, if that, why would you go out and borrow more? But they keep doing it. Now, there are things that happen in life. I can look back at 9-11. Like I, I, when I was in Montgomery, I remember being at the podium one time, and we were discussing whether or not to do a bond issue on the prison system. And I was very concerned at that particular moment because we had just had, I think, two corrections officers had been murdered in prison riots or prison up unrest in Alabama. And I, I pointed out to the men and women of the Senate, I said, those corrections officers, those are like our troops. Imagine that you're a general. Those are your troops. We're sitting here today saying that they need more, but we're not willing to give it to them. There's only very few times that I would consider deficit spending. And one of those is to make sure that troops who are in harm's way have what they need. So after 9-11, there was defense spending that ramped up in a big way. And I didn't have a much heartburn about that because I was downrange myself without an up-harmored Humvee. I was downrange myself without supplies being able to get to me. And it took, because I was there in the first few years of the war uh, in both theaters, I can just tell you there was a whole lot of catch-up. We weren't ready for it. So deficit spending to keep troops safe and give them what they need to fight a war, I, I can sort of get that. That's an exigent circumstance. But when you have discretionary non-defense spending, and that's a term, by the way, discretionary non-defense spending. They, they take things, they break them out. Discretionary non-defense spending means you didn't have to do it, you could choose to do it, and it doesn't relate to fighting wars. Discretionary non-defense spending is out of control. Discretionary non-defense spending is like saying we're going to have 87,000 new IRS agents, and we got to fund them to the tune of a billion dollars. Discretionary non-defense spending is like saying, we're going to pass the Inflation Reduction Act that does nothing to reduce inflation. It just gives pork projects to every 
Democrat area in the nation. Discretionary non-defense spending is things like the infrastructure bill to go deal with racist roads and, and green equities and to subsidize uh, wind farms and solar farms that cannot possibly compete with the free market, so they have to have government subsidies to make it work. Dis- non-discretionary uh, or discretionary non-defense spending is things like putting up charging stations on the side of the highway for people to charge the electric vehicles you're being forced to bow by when, oh, by the way, if that's going to work, then the free market should be the one doing it, and there should be somebody making a business out of it, not the government paying to put them in. I got so many tangents I could run with on this whole thing. <laughs> There's so many. So many. Just, I mean, I, I, can just take a, I can just do a whole a dipper here and just call it <laughs> discretionary non-defense spending and just go all just day go. long. But here's the thing. CNBC. Did you go to CNBC, Phil? I did. CNBC. Dateline uh, yesterday. Treasury Secretary Yellen, bless her heart, Treasury Secretary Yellen says Treasury is taking extraordinary measures to avoid default as U.S. hits debt limit. The Treasury Department says started taking so-called extraordinary measures to keep paying the federal government's bills. So here's the bottom line. What the conservatives in Congress are asking for right now is to cut spending. They know, just like you and I know, that we have to pay the piper. They may not have been the ones who voted for the debt, or maybe they have. But they still know that they have a fiduciary obligation to the people of the United States to make sure that the bills are paid on time. It's a contract, if you will. If you and I signed up to get a credit card, you and I have to pay the piper when the credit card bill comes due. We get that. But you and I know that if a credit card payment is due, it's probably not time to go buy a new car. You and I both know if the credit card payment, if you're struggling with it, you probably shouldn't be outfitting your wardrobe with the new spring fashions. You know what I'm saying? So the reality is you cut your spending personally. You look at things and say, I won't do that. Or I was going to do this. Now I'll do less of that. Or we were going to add on, you know, uh, a a new deck on the house. It's going to be a smaller deck now. (laughs) You know, you just find those things. Uh, You know what? I've been so busy at work. I've had somebody else cutting my grass, but it looks like I have to cut my own grass now because I can't afford to pay that guy so I can pay the credit card. That's the way you and I operate. That's not the way the government operates. The Treasury Department is saying that even though the debt ceiling was hit yesterday, it was yesterday. Yesterday was the, the date at which current expenditures needed additional debt so they could make ends meet. But, Treasury says, uh, well, we can rearrange some things and stop making payments on this thing that's not due till June anyway. And so, yeah, Secretary of the Treasury uh, Janet Yellen said the Treasury will suspend new investments in the Civil Service Retirement and Disability Fund and the Postal Service Retiree Health Benefits Fund from last Thursday, yesterday, until June 5th. Not saying they're going to dismantle the funds. What they're saying is those payments weren't due right now. So money's fungible. They're going to reallocate some some resources. That's what you and I do at home all the time. You know, oh, honey, we, uh, you want to go out to eat? Well, it looks like we're doing uh, a burger as opposed to a steak. You know, you make those decisions. The U.S. government, according to the CNBC article I've got in my hands, has not defaulted on its debt ever, ever. We're the most solvent nation in the world, sort of. But 
the debt ceiling has been raised 22 times from 1997 to 2022. Keep in mind, that means a lot of our history, we were not exceeding our debt limit. In fact, in 2011, I believe we had a balanced budget because Republicans held on and got sequestration, which aggravated some people, I know. It was like, if, if you were in government, you didn't like it because it might have cut some of your resources. If you were a, one of the special interests, you didn't like it because it slowed down what you could get contracts for. But you know what? By God, it was right. All right, we're going to keep talking about this because I, I got to tell you, there's a, there's, a, there's a Mexican standoff going on right now. Is that politically incorrect for me to say that, a Mexican standoff? Is that? I don't know. I don't know. I, I've said it all my life. It just dawned on me. I may be politically incorrect again. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we'll take a break right now. We're going to come right back and continue this thread because, folks, I'm going to tell you right now, this is a big deal. What's what's also really a big deal is whether or not Republicans who just showed that they've got some strength, some clout in D.C., if they can hang on right now for the negotiations. We'll tell you about that more in a minute. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. So debt ceiling, this whole first part of the Triple Dipper, we're calling it raising the roof, uh, the debt ceiling. It's a little pun, a little little play on words. Be a little, okay, anyway, all that to say, (laughs) apparently I'm feeling very clever with myself right now. Um, Secretary of uh, the Treasury, Janet Yellen, is urging, urging Congress, urging to raise the debt limit again. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, (laughs) you can imagine what he says, American families will pay the price for gratuitous partisan politics over the debt ceiling increase. This is not complicated. If the MAGA GOP, the MAGA GOP, stops paying our nation's bills, Americans will be the ones to pay the price. Will we? I don't know. You know, they're talking about cats and dogs living together, global economy collapsing. I don't, would it really? I don't know. I mean, at what point do we stop? So right now what's happening is, and you'll be glad to know that uh, the Alabama delegation is on board with this. For the most part, I can see, um, eight, uh, like 1819 News has a piece, our brand new Congressman Dale Strong. The solution to the debt limit must include spending cuts. That's what conservatives in Congress are holding out for right now. They're not saying we won't pay our bill. They're saying we won't pay our bill and have nothing else to show for it. They're saying we won't just pay the bill and also jack up our spending again. We want to cut some things. We want to trim down and then use the found money from having trimmed down to pay the bill. And that's what you and I do at home. So 1819 News on Thursday, it says the U.S. government hit its debt limit, which is the total amount of money the government can borrow. U.S. Representative Dale Strong said Congress needs to work on a solution that that includes cuts in spending nationwide. He says, when you're approaching $32 trillion in debt, that's concerning to anyone. I believe we've got to work on this together. Treasury will do emergency operations to get us to spring, probably to a vote. Congress is going to have to make this decision on the debt limit 
paying for debt from previous Congresses. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he's in the he's in the uh, you know in unenviable position of being the guy who I wasn't there to vote on it. Now I got to deal with it. So there's that. Um, but but what they're doing right now is they're holding out, and there's actually some you know procedural machinations, if you will, about what they're looking at doing. Um, there's a rare, rarely used procedure. You know, and by the way, it's 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 interesting to me that everything has to follow procedure. You can't just go up there and go, I'm gonna drop a bill, and make it happen. It doesn't work that way. And and so you have to know the rules. We've talked about it here on the show before. You have to know the rules and have the art of politics as much as the the means of politics. But there's a thing right now they're looking at called a discharge petition. A discharge position petition. It says members of both parties in the House. These are the moderates, by the way, Democrats and moderate Republicans. Members of both parties in the House, according to Daily Wire dated yesterday, are entertaining the idea of using a rarely utilized discharge petition to force a vote on raising the debt ceiling as Democrat leaders refuse to negotiate. Republican, conservative Republicans are saying, let's talk about cuts and we'll talk about raising if we have to. Democrats are saying, we won't. We don't think you got it in you. And the White House is saying, we're not going to do it. So the procedural maneuver of a discharge petition, the way it works is this. A measure gets forced out of a committee to a House floor vote um, simply by having certain things in place. You have, to, you have to have a bill that was submitted to a committee. It has to be up for 30 days in committee. It has to have 218 signatures. And then it has to spend seven legislative days on the calendar, which is the, the, the list of bills that are being considered. At, if that happens, those things happen, the Speaker then only has two days after that to put it up for a vote upon notice to all the members. So what they're saying is this. Unlike the normal procedure of working a bill through committee, then getting it through the Rules Committee, which is the one that establishes the calendar, and then the input of the leadership as to what bills come to the floor, in this case, you've got an outside means of circumventing that process to force it to the floor, discharge it out of committee is what they say. So a discharge petition. I don't know if it's going to work or not. Uh, I'd rather it not, to be honest with you, because this is the moderates trying to circle up with the Democrats. So me personally, I'm saying, how about no? Um, the White House is refusing to negotiate, which is interesting, because I got two pieces here, one from The Hill and one from Just the News. JustTheNews.com points out that when President Joe Biden was Vice President Joe Biden back in 2011, he negotiated with a bipartisan group of lawmakers, and they came up with cuts before they ever raised the, the debt ceiling. Now he won't do it. Now he's the one in charge. Now he's the one that wants to have the promo about fixing racist roads and putting in charging stations and building bridges to nowhere. Now he's the one that has the opportunity to say, I'm the guy that spent all the money. But he didn't want to negotiate, even though when he was vice president under Obama, he negotiated. All right, we're going to get some perspective on this, some color commentary, if you will, from Justin Bogey, fiscal analyst and reporter with 1819 News. He'll be with us here in one second, right after the break. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back.
right side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side studios, the local, the state, the national, man, we cover down on all the issues, and like that dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Hour number two, we're in the first part of the Triple Dipper, I'm calling it Raising the Roof, we're talking about the debt ceiling, that's a little play on words there, uh, I'm going to go to the phones here in one second, but I got to tell you, I had some great texts come in, uh, Rita from Scottsboro. She says, I apologize if I'm missing something here, but the house holds the purse strings. If Biden doesn't want to negotiate, then so be it. He gets no money. If a child doesn't do his chores, he doesn't get an allowance. Neither should Biden. Yeah, it's, it's not quite. I wish it was that simplistic, Rita. The bottom line is uh, what they're looking at is paying off of what's already been legislated into action in the past. It's not like they're talking about new spending. They're talking about what's already in the law. So when they pass a budget in the past, whether the current Congress likes it or not, it's considered a legislative matter enacted by law, signed by the president. And by law, they can't just say no. They have to actually have an agreement to legislate a cut. Um, so so that's it's like a contract. You can't sign a contract and then decide not to pay. The law has something to say about that. So that's that's the deal there, Rita. Hey, let me go to the phones. Uh, Justin Bogey, uh, Justin and I have known each other for several years. I mean, he's a fiscal analyst, uh, bar none. He spent time at the Heritage Foundation. He spent time working in Montgomery at the Legislative Fiscal Office for the state of Alabama. He even spent time up on the Hill. Uh, for the last several years, he's been with the Alabama Policy Institute as a fiscal analyst and now also a fiscal reporter with 1819 News. So without further ado, Justin Bogey, how you doing, man? Hey, Phil, doing well. It's good to be with you again. Good to be with you. Hey, um, listen, you, you heard my intro there, and I know you know what the topic is because uh, we texted back and forth. But um, talk about the debt ceiling. Let me ask you this. Is it going to be fiscal Armageddon? Is the world going to collapse? Uh, what, what's, 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 your, what's your thought on this? Well, in the short term, you know, I would say no. But, but we already have seen some, some pushback on this. Um, the the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about a thousand points this week. Heading into today, it rebounded a little bit today. Um, but but some of that's a reaction to this news that we've reached the debt limit. Um, now, in the shorter term, you know, moving forward, uh, there's certain things the Treasury can do to make sure we don't default on our debt. They can prioritize payments. They can, uh, you know, they'll have some receipts coming in. Obviously, when income taxes are, are due here in a couple of months. Uh, so in the short term, you know, they can do some things to kind of mitigate the impacts of this. But the closer we get, they're saying June, early June right now is that cool date when we could potentially default. Uh, the closer we get to that, I think the more we're going to see. Uh, we saw this similar situation back in 2011, and really the results weren't good, and some, some bad things certainly happened. Yeah. Where, where were you in 2011? Were you on the Hill then, or were, were you at Heritage? Where were you? That was I was in D.C., but that was right before I, I went to work for the House Budget Committee. Um, but so, so I kind of missed the, the last big, you know, really big negotiation and, and actually some good things came out of the 2011 uh, yeah. debt limit debate. Um, but, but again, you know, we really did get close to the deadline that time we saw our credit rating, uh, downgraded by, uh, standard fours. Uh, the markets kind of went to a frenzy and a lot of people lost money from their 401ks and retirement plans. Um, so it's serious business. And, and, you know, I think 
for maybe the first time since 2011, uh, this this could get closer to that brink. There there really is a real uh, threat of, of defaulting if both sides dig their heels in. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out and, and what happens. It's a big test for uh, the, the newly elected speaker, Kevin McCarthy, since he promised a lot of the people who, who voted for him that, that he would not do a debt limit increase without spending cuts. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. Well, it will, and uh, it's brakesmanship, and it's, it's, he's definitely got to be a cat herder because he doesn't have the luxury of having – like John Boehner was, uh, I think, uh, the, the speaker back when that, that 2011 uh, debate took place, and he uh, he had uh, a 240-seat majority at the time. Kevin McCarthy's got 222, so he doesn't have as much right, to I work believe, with. Yeah, and I believe at the time the Republicans controlled the uh, Senate as well, so there's a little bit of a different dynamic this time with uh, – you know, different parties controlling Congress and, and, you know, President Obama at the time, he, he really had fewer options since the whole, uh, whole of Congress was, was against him. So, uh, the dynamics are a little different this time. And, you know, it's going to be interesting what, what McCarthy does because he really doesn't need those, you know, 15 or 20 people who kind of the holdouts and, and voting for him to, uh, he doesn't need their vote to increase the debt limit. He could get Democrats to help him. Um, but, but will he be willing to? Yeah, I and mean, that would certainly go back on the promises he's made uh, in order to become speaker. Is that he would go down that road? Um, I mean, there's going to be bipartisanship Absolutely. on something. They could recall him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, yeah. so so let, here's here's my question, um, and I think you said some of it a moment ago. If we choose to default and just not make payments in order to try and force a change in you know government spending. At the same time, that does have very negative ramifications. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a real catch twenty two. You're you're danged if you do and danged if you don't. And, and one, you want to be a conservative, you want to cut the spending. If the Democrats and the Senate and the moderates and the, the Biden administration, if they won't cut spending, and you hold out and and go into default, then like you said, it, it does affect the markets. It does affect the international markets. It affects people's portfolios. All that gets hit, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's really an interesting situation because conservatives and a lot of Americans want good policy change, but are you willing to default for it? But, yeah, you're right. Some of the things you could see, we've already mentioned, uh, the stock market will react. The fact that the dollar is really the global currency, it'll send international markets into a frenzy. Um, the credit downrating, if our uh, credit rating gets downgraded, then uh, it becomes more expensive to borrow money, and that's not just for the government. That's for all of us. You're, we've already seen rising interest rates. That would get worse. It would be harder for businesses to uh, borrow money. And then kind of further down the road, you know, or, or, or another impact of it, Social Security and Medicare, those, are, those make up about a third of federal spending. So if the federal government can't borrow money to pay those obligations, then you could uh, potentially see a delay in Social Security, Medicare, uh, payments and and there could be a cut to benefits. The same with some of these veterans programs, the SNAP program, um, and you know they're already talking about it. And the lead up to it, one step they may take is to stop reinvesting uh, interest from federal pension funds. So uh, there could be kind of a temporary slowdown in in federal employees' retirement plans, which you know that they, they're obviously not going to be happy about. That's about two million people. Um, so there's there's absolutely some major impacts. And then of course, if you go further down the road, you you, you uh, default on on your debt, you probably head into a full fledged recession. Unemployment goes up. You know, it's just it's really all around bad bad effects if we actually do do. Well, I mean, it's it's a rub, man, because you and I are both fiscal conservatives, and we want this we want this thing reined in. I mean, it's it's got to get reined in at some point. We we have literally since the time you were in D.C. 
the national debt has more than tripled. We went from $14.5 trillion in 2011 when they were actually negotiating for cuts, and we came up with sequestration and kind of slowed some things down, to all of a sudden, shabam, we're at almost $31 trillion. And, um, and I look at it and go, okay, so what's, what's the answer here? We can't, we can't not pay the credit card bill because we don't feel like it. You still got to pay it. But then at the same time, you and I in our households, we would just decide not to buy that pizza or not to go buy a new TV. We would have to make our own cuts in order to pay the credit card bill. Am I making it too simplistic? Right. You, do, you, would, you would do whatever you had. And, and really, if you think about it, not that long ago, I, I think it was 2000, uh, the U.S. government had a balanced budget. And yeah, 22 years ago, 23 years ago, that's a long time, but it's really not that long of a time ago yeah. in, in the history of government. Um, until recently, we had never had a deficit over a trillion dollars, and, and now it's the norm. We're projected to have them for the next 10 years, and, and on and on. It rose to $3 trillion during during COVID, um, and, and it's not sustainable. And People have been saying this for, for a long time, but nobody ever seems to do anything about it. We just keep having these debates every 18 or you know 24 months and, and kick the, the can further down the road, and, and really nothing happens. So you know, the, the good thing about this current debt limit debate is it is a chance to, to really make some good policy changes, to find ways to uh, to cut spending and, and get control of some of these programs that are really driving federal spending. Um, but but conservatives are going to have to hold strong and they're going to have to be willing to, you know, go to the brink of, of, a, of a default to do that, probably. Um, you know, it's going to be kind of a matter of who, who budges first on this and, uh you know, who knows at this point, but, but, you know, I think for the sake of the country, we need to get cuts implemented and yeah. uh, this is a great chance to do that. Well, I, I agree. And, uh, and I guess, you know, to be clear, you mentioned conservatives and there's a vast difference between uh, being a Republican and being a conservative sometimes. And so this, this debt that we're carrying right now um, has as many Republican signatures on that debt as it does Democrats. It's the conservative wing of the Republican party that is resisting this. Right. You know, uh, Spending growth, is, it's really a bipartisan issue in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, when it comes time to sign appropriations bills, there's, there's not too many people pushing for cutting spending, and that's what needs to change. And really, it's just it, it's it's not about maybe even what some of these uh, politicians want. It's what's best for the country, and yeah. you know we simply can't continue. I was looking at this a day or two ago. Uh, right now, the debt is about a hundred thousand dollars for every American. I mean, that's just wow. that's just crazy. And as you said, it's just you know completely gone out of control in the last uh, decade, and and nobody seems willing to to stand up and and do anything about it, not in a serious way. And and I guess the last thing here, with about a minute to go, um, at the state level, Alabama does have a balanced budget requirement in our state constitution, so we have to balance our budgets every year. It may mean increased spending, which is sometimes, you know, not not good either. But at the very least, it still has to balance. We can't we can't go into deficit spending. Um, and, and then at the same time, though, we also have a rainy day fund where we're setting money aside. Is there anything like a rainy day fund at the national level? I don't think there is. No, it's really just borrow more money. And then when you get in a situation like this where you, where you can't borrow anymore, it's when you come to the edge of this uh, disaster or calamity or, or however you want to put it. So, no, there's, there's no reserve funds uh, at the federal level. You know, as we said, the Treasury can do certain kind of accounting tricks and, and put, push money around on paper so that they buy themselves a little bit more time. That's what they're doing right now. Yeah. Um, but eventually we're, we're going to have to cut spending and, and raise the debt limit. Oh, all right. Well, Justin, I appreciate it, man. I knew you bring some some great color commentary. You've been doing this a lot longer than I have, and I appreciate the fact that numbers guys out there can actually talk and not just talk numbers. But um, um, 
Thanks for your time, buddy. We appreciate it. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. All right. That was Justin Bogey, fiscal analyst for the Alabama Policy Institute. Spent time on the Hill at the Heritage Foundation and in Montgomery. And uh, does also does fiscal reporting for 1819 News. So, yeah. All right, Boomer, take us to a break, brother. We'll do that right now. We'll come right back and put a, put a cap on this thing. I got a couple more pieces to talk about. And then we'll go on to a number two in the Triple Dipper on a Friday afternoon. Bowing up. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. back phil williams right side radio solid conservative and just plain right making it cool to be a conservative so let's wrap this section up here we're talking about raising the debt ceiling raising the roof i call this um so i I gotta say kevin mccarthy he's got his work cut out for him uh speaker of the house he's you know treading water right now he's got a conservative minority that's doing what it can to try and bring those policies that he promised he'd be a part of uh into play not everybody's on board. I mean, we've already got articles here that I've gone over today that talk about moderate Republicans that are trying to sort of smooth things over with the Democrats and, and get themselves a workable solution that moderates and Democrats like. I'm saying, no, don't do it. Luckily, we got Kevin McCarthy on the record saying that's not where we're headed. Um, but, you know, you, you look at the media and, and, and my gosh, I mean, the way they've been describing this thing, it's apocalyptic. Now, it could be bad. As McCarthy's trying to herd cats, he has a Senate that's providing no cover whatsoever. A- individual senators might say something, but where's McConnell? Have you heard McConnell say he's going to, I'm going to join with the Speaker of the House, and we're going to make sure that we cut sp-. No, he hadn't said boo about it. You know why? Because he's a big spend, moderate Republican. And then, of course, the White House is run by Biden. So, we're looking at right now, the White House is refusing to negotiate on the debt ceiling. They don't want to cut spending. Not at all. They love spending. They like printing more money. Story here on the Hill. White House refusing to negotiate on the debt ceiling, which is a risky position that Democrats think is a political winner because, you know, people like it when money floods into their coffers. Well, that only happens if the government spends the money. Well, that only happens if the government borrows more money to spend. So taking the position that you won't negotiate will allow Republicans to argue that a refusal by the White House to discuss spending cuts means President Biden is not acting in the public's interest. So it's a, that's what he's got to weigh here. But White House officials and Democrats believe they have more leverage because they don't think the, Democrat, the, the Republicans have it in them. There, there's that. They also believe they have history. There have been a number of what they call clean debt ceiling hikes. Clean debt ceiling hikes means you didn't have to cut spending. You just raised the debt and moved on. That's what they want. They want a clean bill. We want a clean bill. We'll debate cuts with you later. Let's do a clean bill right now to get us over the hump. No. Where's the leverage in that? Back in 2011, you heard Justin Bogey and I talking about it. Uh, Speaker John Boehner at the time, President Obama at the time, and the right wing, which was the Tea Party folks uh, at the time, were were really pushing for some cuts. And it, it took some doing. But what's funny is then Vice President Biden 
help with the negotiations and was able to see cuts come into place that actually balanced the budget for a period of time and cut spending. And now he doesn't want to do it. So I tell you what, I'll end with this. The last piece I've got, I've got several more, but I'm not going to get to them. I've, I've kind of said it already. But Fox News, Stephen Moore, the fiscal guy from FreedomWorks, Stephen Moore says, of all the reforms that were secured by the conservative rabble-rousers earlier this month, arguably the most momentous one was the promise that Republicans made not to pass any debt ceiling increases until budget reforms had been secured. He says government spending last year hit 13 figures, $1.4 trillion. And without budget reforms, we could easily see a decade ahead with another $10 trillion continuing to be added to the debt. $10 trillion more. Can you imagine? And he says, don't forget, every one percentage point rise in the interest rates raises the debt by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a great point. When the Federal Reserve goes in there and raises the rates, it also impacts our national debt. Great point. Thank you, President Biden. So, so budget hawks and those concerned should be applauding this commitment that we've got from conservatives. But the New York Times, he says, hyperventilated that breaching the debt limit would lead to the first ever default, creating financial chaos. Oh, listen, he says this is upside down logic. The nation's good credit standing in the global markets is not imperiled by not passing a debt ceiling. The much bigger danger, he says, is that Congress does extend the debt ceiling, but without any reforms. He said, we just experienced one painful repercussion of runaway government spending, a 40-year inflation high. And he points out that after those 2011 negotiations that I told you about a moment ago, that we, we, we literally saw three years later, I take it back. Part of this goes back to 1985, the Grand Rubman Act of 1985. It put things on a spending diet. And that three years after that, it's the only time we haven't seen a deficit in the last 50 years. And then in 2011, we had the House Republicans leveraging more. He says the lesson is clear. If we were to make any progress on reducing the debt crisis, that Speaker Kevin McCarthy must use the debt ceiling vote as a bargaining chip and not give it away. All right, enough on that. Wow. And I, and I go back to the, the easy way to describe this is you and I would sit down at the kitchen table and say, can we afford to do this? I don't know that we can. Or can we afford to do this? Yes, we can. Or here's some one-time money. Let's use it to pay down our debt. Or for that matter, here's some one-time money. Let's buy that thing that we wanted, but we didn't want to borrow money to get. We would make those decisions. In D.C., they don't make those decisions. They just keep spending. And it's got to come down to a stop. All right, folks, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, going next to Bowen Up. Y'all stay tuned.
Hey, all you right side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, covering down on some ground across the great state of Alabama. I'm talking about we go way down south with this show, south of Birmingham, north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to Gaston, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, and Mississippi, all thrown in just for good measure. Um, All right, we're going to switch gears. Uh, That was a whole section there that was like in the weeds on fiscal matters, which are not real sexy, but you know what? You got to deal with them because it's just like our house, you know, just like our house. If you got to, if you, if you can't pay the light bill, ain't no time to do much else. Um, but, uh, I'm going to number two on the triple dip. I'm calling this one bowing up, bowing up. Like I love it when conservatives push back and say, Hey, that liberal agenda you want me to advocate for or be a part of or kneel to, how about no? How about just freaking no? How you like me now? No. That's right. This, <laughs> this, this dipper gets me pumped up. Uh, well, you want to go your favorite story first? Can we do the my favorite story first? Guys, I mean, I get to see these stories in the morning while I'm putting them together, and this one right here was my favorite. Yeah, yeah so if you're not clear, every single morning I get up, and a part of my early morning time, like early morning time, is I am resourcing <laughs> the dippers. I send them to Boomer. Boomer then like puts them into a format that I could hit print on and have a, you know, like a, in this case, I think it's like a 37 page word document yeah. that's got all the stories. It's just easier to see everything. Lots of stuff. Yeah. Lots, yeah, of there's lots of it. That I then highlight. Here's, here's one right here, all highlighted up in the camera. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. So, all right. So, Boomer told me today what his favorite story was. Yes. Daily Wire, dated yesterday. Have y'all heard about, and by the way, this whole section is about conservatives pushing back on liberals. Have you heard about, the National Hockey League player, Ivan Provorov. Provorov plays for the Flyers? Is he with the Flyers? Flyers. Yeah, the Flyers. Mm-hmm. He plays for the Philadelphia Flyers, and they had a big LGBTQ event. They were all supposed to wear, uh, were they wearing, what were they wearing, rainbow patches on their, what was, it? What was the it deal? Was, uh, rainbow patches or jersey. It was for warm-up. Yeah. It was like they were wearing jerseys or patches or something of that yeah, nature. Yeah, they had to come out of the ice for their warm-ups and, you know, and support the LGBTQ agenda and the diversity and inclusion and yada, yada. And Provorov didn't come out. Provorov said uh, it violated his religion, uh, that he's a Christian. He's actually, uh, uh, his, his personal faith is in the, Roman Ortho- the uh, Russian Orthodox Church. And, uh, and it, did not, it did not sit well with him, and so he chose to sit out. Liberals have had a freakout. They have. A complete come apart, like... Teeth and hair are flying. They want Provorov benched. I mean, Boomer, what the heck? I mean, come on, guys. Really? Okay, you want to support them? Don't push it on us. I, I, look, uh. at it, I look at it and think Provorov was just being a guy with a First Amendment right. Yes, absolutely. Now, you know, may, maybe his employer can say this is what we're going to do, but you still have a religious accommodation that has to be granted. You have freedom of religion. You have your own freedom of speech. They can't violate your constitutional rights for you to have a job. So here's here's the part that I love. Aside from pushing back, <laughs> Daily Wire says so Daily Wire says 
websites that sell sports memorabilia and, and things like jerseys have sold out of Provorov's jerseys. Yeah. Get some applause on that one, Boomer. That's, I mean, that's definitely applause right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, National Hockey League player Ivan Provorov's journey, jersey was sold out on several websites and men's sizes on Thursday after the player did not take part in an LGBTQ event due to his religion earlier this week. As of Thursday afternoon, uh, on the Fanatics and NHL shop sites, the jersey did not appear to be available in men's sizes. On Tuesday, the Philadelphia Flyers were set to warm up in jerseys that reflected the organization's Pride Night event. Provorov received criticism when he did not join for the warm-ups. So here's the thing that gets me, Boomer. You can kneel down in sports. You can kneel down at the national anthem. You can protest your own country. But you can't choose not to wear a pink jersey because you're supporting Pride Night. Yeah, so they're getting mad at the people, or mad at the people that are choosing not to wear the pink jersey. But oh yeah, you can kneel because you don't support our country. Yeah. What? That's just I, I look at it and go, yeah, that's come on. So um, Provorov, <laughs> Provorov says, I respect everybody. I respect everybody's choices. My choice is stay true to myself and my religion. That's all I'm going to say. Mm. Um, and his coach though. You know the Flyers. The Flyers put out there. Oh well, we we are very inclusive and we're committed to inclusivity and we're proud to support the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, uh, kneel down, kneel down, kiss their shoes. But the head coach John Tortorella, while kind of giving the, a little bit of the yeah, we're 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 good with Pride Night. We support it. But he says this about his player, and I was glad he did. Uh, his coach um, John Tortorella said, "With Provy, that's that's Provorov. With Provy." He's being true to himself and his religion. That has to do with his belief and his religion. It's one thing I respect about Provy. He's always true to himself, and that's where we are with that. Why would I bench him? Because of a decision he made on his beliefs, his religion? It turned out to be a great night for Pride Night. And, by the way, he's not going to bench one of his best players. <laughs> How you like me now, LGBTQ2IA+, two-spirit activist, whatever you are. <laughs> um, so, yeah, pushing back, bowing up. I'm digging it. Love it. Ron DeSantis, not known to sit idly by and just say, sure, we'll let that happen. I got two stories in a row, both from the Daily Wire, both about DeSantis. Huh. The first one deals with ESG. Um, so you've heard me talk about it. ESG investing, ESG banking, ESG finances, ESG environmental, social, and governance ESG is basically like saying, uh, we as a corporation, we no longer care about whether or not we make a profit. It's more important that we show the world that we support the Green New Deal. It's more important that we do virtue signaling on woke issues with our commercials. It's more important that we tell the world, hey, uh, we did a commercial the other day uh, with two black gay men kissing each other, so you'll know that we, uh, we honor the LGBTQ activists. Oh my well, so, <laughs> well, first of all, you have to look at it and go, okay, if you want to support that, fine. But if doing that crushes your bottom line, if doing that drives down your profit shares, then at some point you have to go, you know what? We have a duty, a fiduciary obligation to our shareholders. Maybe we ought to go back to trying to make money because that's what our shareholders expect when they invested money with us. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis is having none of it. He, he is not going to abide by the idea that the retirement systems of Florida that their portfolio is in any way allowing ESG to mix itself in and reduce the return on investment for his state retirees. Awesome. 
So Florida Governor, according to Daily Wire, dated yesterday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis approved measures on Tuesday to prevent the Florida Retirement System Pension Plan from investing in accordance with the environmental, social, and corporate governance movement known as ESG. It says they will ensure that public fiduciaries invest state funds in a manner that prioritizes the highest return on investment for Florida taxpayers. He goes on to say his resolution mandates that investment decisions must only be based on pecuniary factors. Why is that? It's amazing to me that a governor has to actually pass an executive order to insist on a good return on investment being pursued. That's just a, it's just mind-boggling that we're there. It also adds the State Board of Administration may not sacrifice investments or, or take on any additional investment risk to promote non-pecuniary factors. In other words, uh, you can't even say, if I had to choose, I would take the Green New Deal version. No, you can't do it. That's not part of your decision-making process. Don't even weigh that in. Says the actions from DeSantis come one month after the Florida Treasury divested $2 billion from asset management company BlackRock. You know, BlackRock is one of the, the maybe the largest portfolio management company in the world. And, and they, they are literally the leaders, along with the World Economic Forum in ESG. And BlackRock actually has a lot of state retirement system monies in it. Well, when they pulled out, when Florida pulled out, pulled out $2 billion, um, they told BlackRock CEO Larry Fink that the state, quote, needs partners with the financial services industry who are committed to the bottom line as we are and added that we'll be taking our business elsewhere. Nice. <laughs> nice. Love that. Um, you, we got to bow up, y'all. Raven from Russellville texts in and says, I've been bowed up for years. <laughs> he says, I've been bowed up for years, by God. Um, yeah. Uh, G.I. Joe from Birmingham just texted in again and says, they're pushing the LGBTQ agenda on the chaplain's corps in the, uh, in the military. Yeah. With all the sensitivity training and this and that and others makes me sick. Uh, I agree. Violate your religion, please, if you want to serve in your religious capacity. Um, um, so, yeah, the end result of this is, we got to push back because if we don't, you never get change ever. It's like the whole discussion about whether conservatives can hold the line on spending in DC. Well, if they don't try to hold the line, we'll never move the line. We'll just keep incurring more debt because moderates and liberals have no concept of fiscal discipline. They just want to spend more because it makes them look good back home. Hey, I brought home the bacon Never mind the bacon is unaffordable. We've got to push back. All right. Uh, where are we at? Boomer, I tell you what, take the break right now. I don't want, I don't want to start this next story because it's too good. I'll, I'll wait to after the break to do this one. What did Florida do in regards to a college course that was promoting, I don't know, queer theory and critical race theory? I'm coming back with that one. Bowing up. Right Side Radio. We'll be right back.
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, making it cool to be a conservative. Raven from Russellville has texted in, Boomer. He says, I'm bowed up on Jesus being Lord, two genders, abortion being the killing of person, and liberalism being a mental illness, and I will move on none of the above. Yes. <laughs> digging it. Raven from Russellville, digging it. All right. This whole section we're doing right now is called bowing up. You got to bow up sometimes. And there's so much to bow up against. I mean, first of all, what I'm, what I'm describing to you about some of these you know, things that are socioeconomic, socio-cultural, listen, the bottom line is they're not normal. They're, they're not right and they're not normal. And the idea that we should look the other way is also not normal. And people have got to start bowing up. Now, I've got a great one here. I love it when leaders like Ron DeSantis, who I'm, I'm, I'm pretty high on DeSantis so far. I mean, I, I, I have not seen anything that makes me go, mm, no, not that guy. I, DeSantis right now acts and looks and sounds like the kind of leader that we need. So I had a story a moment ago about DeSantis's office saying, you know what? No more ESG. We pulled $2 billion of our state retirement funds out of BlackRock, and we told them we're taking our business elsewhere. And he told his personnel, his state uh, treasury department and, and others, you will not allow ESG to influence any of your decision makings, period. Well, here's another one from Ron DeSantis. Love this. Headline, Daily Caller, dated yesterday. Florida rejects AP African-American studies course that contained a section on the queer theory. Okay. I mean, you almost look at that and go, how much wokeness could I put in one headline? It says an AP African-American studies course rejected by the Florida Department of Education on January 12th contained tenets of critical race theory and a section on queer theory, according to a copy of the syllabus. This is, by the way, this is not interpretation. This is not, well, you're just, you're just being a homophobe and you're looking for things now. You're a racist. No, I'm reading your syllabus, dude. How about that? How you like me now? The State Department of uh, Education informed the College Board Florida Partnership that it would not approve an AP African-American studies to be taught in high schools because the course content violated state law prohibiting CRT, according to the rejection letter attained um, by the Daily Caller. An analysis of the course syllabus shows that it includes CRT-related content as well as sections on intersectionality and queer theory. Republican Governor Ron DeSantis' press secretary told the Daily Wire, as submitted, the course is a vehicle for political agendas and leaves large, ambiguous gaps that can be filled with ideological material, which we will not allow. As Governor DeSantis has stated, our classrooms will be a place for education, not for indoctrination. One section of the uh, syllabus, Unit 4 of the syllabus, actually includes a section called African American Studies, Movements, and Methods, under which is a sub-lesson on black queer studies. The section teaches students about the, quote, concept of the queer of color critique grounded in black feminism and intersectionality as a black studies lens that shifts sexuality studies toward. Ra- Where's my woke glossary, please? You, we, we saved it. I, do you have the woke glossary with you? It's Here uh, it is. yeah, right there. Right there. I need to look up some of these words. because <laughs> I have no idea what that syllabus is supposed to say. But I'll, I'll tell you right now. If they, if they have that much gobbledygook packed into the course title, you can imagine where it was headed. And I just so appreciate the fact that the state of Florida is not only um, saying they're going to do it, they're doing it. They're pushing back on woke. You know, Governor DeSantis, when he, when he was sworn back in for the next term, he said Florida is where woke goes to die. What a great line. That needs to be on bumper stickers. 
But then he's also being accused of being a, a racist and a homophobe. Certainly he is. Of course he's being accused of it. But during his tenure, they also point out that he has been quick to advocate for lessons that talk about things that are, should be uncomfortable um, if you're, you know, a racist. Like the Ocoee Massacre, which is a uh, historic event that occurred in Florida. It's the largest incident of voting day violence in U.S. history, where uh, African-Americans were killed by rioters on Election Day. Um, that happened in Florida. Governor DeSantis is all about teaching that because it happened. What we're not going to do is teach. I got to read the title again, Boomer. I got I got to read this title again. We're not going to so good. Yeah, we're not going to teach black queer studies that teaches the concept of the queer of color critique grounded in black feminism and intersectionality as a black studies lens that shifts sexuality studies toward racial analysis. Why is that in high school? <laughs> Should not be. That. That's that's barely eligible for TikTok, <laughs> much less a high school course. Golly, bum. All right. Um, there's so many of these stories, and we're going to wind up lapping over to the next uh, half hour. Um, but um, but there's, you know, if you're going to bow up, bow on up. And, and, it, and it may be that it starts with just you, just one person saying, you know what, not on my watch. And I'll remind you, too, uh, the lovely Charlene said this to me back when we started the show. She goes, tell them. Tell them there's more of us than there are of them. And it's true. Y'all, there's more of us. There's more of us that believe the way we talk on this radio show. There's more of us than there are of them. Them has got the squeaky wheel. Them is trying to sneak things into our schools. Them is trying to put agendas in place in our politics that have no bearing. Them are trying to change the way we invest our monies. How about no? So yeah, it, it's if if you don't bow up, then you wind up just having to accept the result. We've got to have not just leaders, but citizens who are leading in their own right to bow up and not allow this. I'm going to come right back here in a minute. I mean, I got stories about things that need bowing up on, like what happened to a San Francisco art gallery owner when he when he finally had enough with a homeless person living in his doorway, or how about this? A story on resisting the climate change power grab. Or for that matter, you might want to know in terms of bowing up, what's the very first oversight hearing that new Republicans are saying they're going to pursue uh, in D.C.? And then, surprise, we may actually have a visitor log, after all, for Biden's Delaware home to find out who may have had access to secure documents while they were hanging out with the Prez on one of his many long weekends. It's just, I got, I got a series of these. And then hopefully we're going to get down to the very end. I got some great good news stories to end the week on. So, yeah, we got, we got good stuff. We got, we got lots of good. We got stuff worth hearing. We got stuff worth knowing about. And, folks, I'm just going to tell you, if folks like me and you and Boomer don't start bowing up, then our kids aren't going to have much left to bow up at. So, yeah, lots, lots more to come on this. Um, I, I don't know which one is my favorite story. I think so far, I think my favorite story is is the hockey player. Boomer, it's just still, so good. good with that. <laughs> I mean, I know I, there's so many stories out there about it, people like standing up and bowing up, and I just love it. Well, th this one I think also resonates because there's even they're even calling for him to be benched, and I'm like, no, stop it, stop. <laughs> Benching because he didn't wear a, a, a pink shirt during. Come on, man. <laughs> what are you, a junkie? <laughs> All right, folks, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We're heading into hour number three. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back.
right side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side studios. Man, the local, the state, the national, we cover down on all of the issues. And like the dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Um, Hey, I'm in number uh, two of the Triple Dipper, bowing up, um, talking about when we actually push back against uh, those kind of woke power grabs. Um, I've had several stories, one of which got some attention, uh, the, the hockey league, national hockey league, uh, situation with, uh, uh Ivan, uh, Provorov, the, 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 the hockey player who basically said, you know what? I'm not wearing the LGBTQ, uh, Jersey when I go out there for warmups. I'm just, I'm just not. It violates my religion. Freak out from the, uh, the liberal left. Um, I got a caller on the line. Let me grab that real quick. Mark from Athens. Hey, Mark, Phil Williams, how you doing? Senator Williams. It's time. It's Friday afternoon. We need a good low belly laugh because we can't laugh out loud or else we might get called out by the the wackos. (laughs) But let's be real, real honest here. All right. Before this this gay pride night at NHL decided to do it, this game with this uh, Ivan, who is a a, uh, Orthodox, uh, Russian Orthodox Catholic. Right. Okay. Decides, I'm not going to wear the shirt with the rainbow pride little thing on the shoulders. Okay, how many LGBTQ and all the other alphabet that goes after that do you think were really avid and loyal hockey fans? <laughs> well, apparently more than you and I would have thought because they've been having uh, they've been having uh, like LGBTQ hiring days. They've been having LGBTQ pride days. They've been having they even have an LGBTQ uh, hockey league that we we talked about. So. <laughs> It's unreal. I'd love to see that hockey league. Yeah, that one didn't work out real well because it was a transgender hockey teams, uh, and the guy who thinks he's a girl uh, creamed the girl who thinks she's a guy up against the boards, and she had to be carted off on the backboard. <laughs> it was awful. I think the teams were called the Blacks against the Pinks, and the Pinks did not do that well, if I recall. <laughs> this is just unbelievable. I cannot imagine... But, you know, the, the guy was classic when he was getting interviewed. If you got some hockey questions, I'll be happy to answer those. But I'm not talking about this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Good for him. I mean, <laughs> yeah. wow. How hard you is gotta that? you got to watch the video clip when you get interviewed. It was just awesome. He just says, hey, that's all I'm going to say about it. I, I prefer not to do it. I respect your wishes to do what you want. Was, I don't want to do it. I'm going to stick to myself and my beliefs. Was like, it, period. Was it like from uh, Rocky Four with Ivan Drago? I will break you. Did he? Did he go down that yeah. road? <laughs> yeah. He was just short and sweet. Yeah. And it was funny because one of the reporters tried to bring it up again. He goes, "Did you not hear me? <laughs> you got some hockey questions? I'll answer hockey questions." So he got. He, so the reporter got Nick Saban. Is what happened there? That's that's good. Yeah. Uh, Mark, thanks for the call, Anyways, man. What a what a laugh! Thank you. Thank Have you a good for weekend, buddy. Yeah, thank you, bud. Uh, what a great audience. Uh, that's good stuff. Hey, you know, there's, there's times and places to bow up, and then there's things you identify that somebody needs to start bowing up. 
And, and one of them is the rampant crime. I am so sick. I mean, I mean, Charlene and I both, but I mean, I've, I've seen her get like almost like a visceral reaction watching the news where you see these videos of people just, just doing this reckless shoplifting like they could care less. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. They're just, they're just walking in the store, grabbing what they want, walking back out, daring somebody to say something. That's because they know nobody will say anything. Well, I don't know if you saw this or not. Story here on the New York Post. You, you may have seen, it went viral. Somebody was filming it. There was a, a guy who owns a San Francisco uh, art gallery, I believe. And he was out front washing down his sidewalks. Part of that's because he cares. And the other part is because he has to, because the drug users and the homeless people, in, they, they defecate on the streets. They leave their needles everywhere. And it's, it's gotten so bad that in some places they actually, in San Francisco actually, they have people whose job it is. Their job is to go around picking up human fecal matter and, and, and drug uh, paraphernalia. That's their job because it's hazardous. So they have to wear the, that's, they get paid. They're, they're basically the poop patrol. They're, they're, I think they're called the San Francisco Poop Patrol. But this gallery owner had a homeless person that had been living in his doorway basically for you know, days on end. And he was, just, he was beyond it. He was trying to hose down his sidewalks, get ready for another day of business because he's actually trying to be a productive member of society. And I don't know his politics or anything. I just know this. He had hit his moment because he was spraying water from a hose and this homeless person lying on a sidewalk wouldn't move. And he kept saying, just move. Just go down the street. Just move. I'm trying to wash the sidewalk. So basically, she'd been overturning trash cans, screaming at him, spitting on him for, I mean, She's the one who's crazy and living in his doorway. And so what did he do? He finally hosed her down with water, hosed her down. That's it. Just hosed her down. He has now been arrested, by the way. Boomers give me the look. I know, I know, bro. I know. I, I know. He has, now been, uh, he has now been arrested and charged with assault and battery, and his gallery has been vandalized. He's the victim, in my opinion. Yes. I mean, so, so the end result is the guy who's writing his article for the New York Post is, is pointing out that this kind of thing is, is going to start happening more and more. We're going to wind up seeing more and more people getting to the point that they just they can't contain them. And the article does not excuse the guy's actions. No one is saying, well, he should have hosed her down. No, no one's saying that. What they are saying is, you know, his breaking point it might be because ain't nobody in leadership in San Francisco bowing up against the problem that brought him to that point. And so here we are looking at a dude who's just trying to run his business. And the guy writing the article points out, he says, you know what? I'm seeing it. He said in New York, two days in a row, he actually personally, the author of this article did, watched people shoplifting with no repercussions. He talked about a sportswear store in Columbus Circle in New York City. And, the, and that literally there was a guy who was loading up on stuff and trying to walk out, just walk out the door, just walking out with the door, his arms full of clothing. And the security guard did stop him, at which point the guy yelled at the security guard for disrespecting him. But at least he didn't get away with it. But then a day later, he said he was in a CVS drugstore. And here comes a guy who's loading up his arms, stuffing things in his pockets and walking out the door. And the staff starts yelling at him. And the guy says, why don't you call the police? And they said, there's no point. He comes in often. Why does he get away with it, I asked. They shrugged. Again, so long as nobody gets hurt, it seems like the stores just have to put up with it. His point is this. He says, well, here's the thing that people are forgetting in New York. None of this is normal. 
Most first world countries and cities do not simply allow law breaking like this. If you go to Paris, Berlin, Rome, or London, you are not allowed to go into a store, fill your bags up, and walk out. And if someone's caught trying to shoplift in these cities, they're detained. And they should be. And the point of this article was leadership has to start bowing up on behalf of the people who are making society actually run, not the ones who are tearing it down. Wow. Next one I got here in the bowing up section. And I'll wrap this thing up here in just a minute. But the bowing up section, you might be curious to know. All right, so the Republicans are saying they're in charge in D.C. right now, at least in the House. And they're going to start, you know, conducting their investigations. And rightfully so. How many years did we spend watching fruitless effort to try and prove that there was Russia collusion or that the Steele dossier was real? And it wasn't. Well, now we got the first one out the gate. So Representative James Comer of Kentucky has said that the House Oversight Committee, which he now chairs, will hold its first hearings. Here's the topic. Southern border. Southern border is the very first investigation coming out the gate. The hearing, the first hearing takes place on February the 6th. Says the committee announced Thursday that it had called upon several Southern Border Patrol sector chiefs and requested documents directly from DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. You may recall that Speaker Kevin McCarthy has threatened to impeach Mayorkas over the crisis. The quote from Comer says this, and I'm so glad we're bowing up on it, because you know what? You may look at it and go, yeah, but they can't get things through the Senate. I mean, how are we going to, what the, I mean, does it matter? They investigate. What happens? You know what happens? We get a public view. We get to at least hear things. We get to get the word out. Quote here from the Republican leadership, President Biden's radical open borders agenda has ignited the worst border crisis in American history. The Biden administration's deliberate actions are fueling human smuggling, stimulating drug cartel operations, enabling deadly drugs such as fentanyl to flow into American communities and encouraging illegal immigrants to flout U.S. laws. Republicans will hold the Biden administration accountable for this ongoing humanitarian, national security, and public health crisis that has turned every town into a border town. Bowing up. Glad of it. Hey, I'll tell you what. I got, I got several. We're not even going to get to all these. I mean, I've got one right now where there, there's, there's a request for information about, you know, how much Chinese money flowed into uh, to Penn, where the Penn Biden Center was. By the way, I did not know this. Apparently, the American universities had been required under Section 117 of the Higher Ed Act of 1965 to disclose any gifts from foreign entities over $250,000. But the Biden administration changed that. And now we realize that maybe it's because the Penn Biden Center made them nervous. It says on day one, the Biden administration broke its promise to run a transparent government. Now it's clear why. The Penn Biden Center likely received financial contributions from Chinese entities while simultaneously storing classified documents in the Biden office. That was an article from Daily Caller. <laughs> Lastly, I'll end with this as we bow up. Bowing up's what we got to do sometimes. Bowing up. All this stuff about So who's been at Biden's Delaware home? He goes home every other weekend, literally, for long weekends. He puts a lid on his day around noon on Friday. He comes back somewhere around Sunday night or Monday morning. Wish we all had that option. But he, he, oh, Corrine Jean-Pierre says there's, there's no visitor logs. There are no visitor logs. How can that be? He's the president of the freaking free world, and there's no visitor logs? Well, guess what? And I knew this would be the case. I was wondering why nobody had asked it yet. The Secret Service has to keep track of who comes and goes when they're guarding a president. 
doesn't matter whether the house has a visitor log because according to townhall.com, the Secret Service knows exactly who is visiting the location, is ready to turn that information over to Congress if and asked. Loving that. They did. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, dude. Right there, townhall.com. Oh, man. That's All good. right. Well, I'll tell you what, Boomer, and we got a visitor in studio, Boomer Daddy. Boomer and Boomer Daddy, one of y'all pushed the magic button that says, go, baby, go, and let's take it to a break. We'll do that right now, folks. We'll come right back. Heading towards the end of the day on a Friday. You guys stay tuned. We're going to move to the last part of the Triple Dipper. It ain't all bad. That's what I call it. And that's true. It ain't all bad. There's some good news stories out there. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We'll be right back. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right, saving the world one soundbite at a time. Hey, folks, I got to tell you too, real quickly. Um, ZLA Solutions. These are these are some people that are making a real dent in putting the, the the job market all back into place in Alabama. Keep in mind, our unemployment rate may be low, but our our labor participation rate has been very low, also, which is not good. Um, ZLA Solutions, they've got jobs posted right now on their website. If you're looking for a job personally, you go check them out. ZLA Solutions at ZLAUSA.com. That's their website. Check them out. They got jobs posted now. But here's the thing if you're an employer, they can help you fill out the ranks of your workforce. It doesn't matter whether you need, you know, onesies and twosies with special niche kind of skills or whether you want to fill out a whole shift uh, uh, in a factory or whatever the case may be. That's their bread and butter, man. They can do that stuff. They can do the recruiting, the background checks, the drug testing if necessary, all of it. And at ZLA, uh, they do a lot of business in solutions, but that's staffing, that's their bread and butter. They like to say at ZLA, we don't make it, we just make it better. Because their goal in life is to help you make your business better, period. ZLA Solutions at ZLAUSA.com. Tell them you heard about it on Right Side Radio. Um, what uh, what oh, you got, man? Hey, so you know how we were talking about the poop patrol earlier? <laughs> I did talk about yeah, the poop patrol. Yeah, so in San Francisco, San Francisco, I was curious, obviously, so I looked it up. And do you know how much they make? Then to be on a poop patrol? To be on the poop patrol. I I don't know, but I'm not sure they could pay me enough. But what do you uh, <laughs> they they actually make a hundred and twenty-eight thousand dollars a year. What? To be on the poop patrol. And this was this was like a going around town scraping up poop off the sidewalks. Yes. And this wasn't recent. I mean, so inflation, they probably got a raise and stuff, but oh they are gosh. making that was like 2018 or 19 when I when I found I that I bet price. you they're all vested in the state retirement system too. I, <laughs> how's that? How's that for a resume? I mean, 128. I'm I'm a I'm part of the poop patrol. Yeah. I mean, do, do they have a special patch? Uh, 
<laughs> I'm sure they do. Is this like Monkeypox Tax Force? You know, if like you were saying, I bet they actually wear. You mean they have to wear suits? I mean, I wouldn't go out yeah. without wearing a suit, like a so, hazmat. A hazmat suit. So I bet they got patches too. But I wonder what's on the patch. Patches. What do you? <laughs> what do you? I, what? What, do you, what do you do with that? I mean, what do you? What kind of patch would you make? I, I don't know. I, I, you I mean on, on you know text messages and stuff? You like get the, you got a little poop emoji. Yeah, they, like yeah, the smiling turd. <laughs> I just <laughs> can I say that on the air? I just did. So so they get paid. Well paid. over six figures to to go out there with a. I mean, so listen, when when we had our big old dog that I talked about the other day, yeah, our big old Doberman Pinscher. Well, I'm gonna say he could mess up a backyard. I'm just saying it was like having a horse in the house. <laughs> so, you know, it was like a landmine, some or a oh, minefield yeah. in our backyard. So our kids, you know, they 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 had they had jobs when they were growing up. They had their chores. One of the chores was we called it pooper scooping. Oh. Somebody's scooper. got a pooper scoop. I got to tell you the story too, I and I'll love come back. Stories. To, so, <laughs> so one day, so we had a weird backyard at our old house, and you know they pooper scooped the yard, and they and I literally had a I had a an old dustpan on the end of a broomstick that was long that I'd bent so that it would kind of fade, and they'd go around. And they had to sweep it up with an old raggedy right, yeah. broom, right? All right. Never occurred to me what they did with the poop. I don't know why I never thought of this. Oh, wait, your kids? Yes. What did they do with the poop? Well, there was a strange little piece of our backyard that was kind of down by a fence that, that we you didn't, I mean, with the way the yard was set up, it was not the part of the yard you ever really went to. Okay. It was just part of your property, but you know. It no was one, over there. It was over there. Yeah. I'm over there by that fence one day having to repair a piece of the fence for some reason. And I look over, and on the <laughs> other side of the fence, there's a mound of poop. <laughs> That I kid you not. <laughs> Looks like from a dinosaur. Was I bet. five feet tall. <laughs> it was literally like four years of poop. Wow. From pooper scooping. Pooper scooper. And I went in. I said, "Did you ever think about slinging it out in the woods and not putting?" Oh well, we no, Dad. No, nope. <laughs> oh, come we just on. Just wanted to keep putting it on that big old pile and see how how large we can make it. I guess it got fun at that point. I <laughs> I'm just wondering why we never smelled it. That, that's true. Oh well, at least we didn't step in it. That. <laughs> That's that would have been bad too, because it would have gone all the way up to your knee. Uh, my close to my neck. neck. <laughs> I'm six foot two. It's a five foot tall thing of poop. Oh man. Oh gosh. So in so in San Francisco, then how do we do that? Boomer, you totally derailed this. I whole totally segment. derailed. I mean, it was all about the the pooper scoopers. I mean the the poop patrol. <laughs> <laughs> With their yes. So that's it. So now we have twenty eight thousand dollars, but probably more now. Now we so. have the monkeypox task force and the poop patrol and the poop patrol. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just good to be a liberal. It's just, yep. There you go, guys. With, oh. with, with all their uh, dictionary talk, <laughs> and, and I wonder too, if they go look for another job, do they put it on their resume? Well, oh. pray tell, what did you do for your last job, sir? I was on the poop patrol. I don't want to brag or anything, but I was a patrol leader for the poop patrol. That's right. All right, folks. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We'll try and get back on track after this. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back.
and we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, covering down on some ground across the great state of Alabama. I'm talking about this show goes way down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back over to Gadsden, and parts of Georgia, Tennessee, and Mississippi thrown in just for good measure. Hey, uh, it is about go-home time right now. I mean, some of you guys have already got the car keys in hand. You can smell the barn. And uh, let me just suggest something to you. As you, as you head into the weekend, you know, I don't know about you, but Charlene and I, Sunday, or Saturday morning uh, breakfast is usually bigger, different, better. But you got to mess the kitchen up if you cook it at home. Let me suggest this to you. I, I'm, I'm saying better than the average biscuit in a drive-thru. Just Love Coffee Cafe. Oh, yeah. Just Love Coffee Cafe. Two locations in our listening area, one on Hughes Road in Madison, the other on South Parkway in Huntsville. Just Love Coffee Cafe has a breakfast menu that will knock your socks off. So not only can you treat yourself to the massive cup of cappuccino or a latte or an espresso, the treat coffees, Charlene calls them. You can also get their dry roast, their award-winning dry roast coffee, fresh ground beans, light, medium, or dark roast. But then the food? Wow. How about, like, I always talk about it, the womlet. Eggs, sausage, cheddar cheese, onions, peppers, tomatoes, tater tots, sprinkled with black pepper, cooked on a waffle iron to give an extra fluffy kind of textury feel. Or the bacon tater. A hash brown waffle with cheddar cheese and bacon sprinkled with black pepper and served with a side of sour cream or ketchup, your choice. Or you can get their dippers, sausage or chicken wrapped in a waffled biscuit and served with a choice of sausage, gravy, syrup, or mushroom. They, listen, it goes on and on. They got the light stuff, the heavy stuff. They got waffles like you will not believe. Just Love Coffee Cafe, two locations in our listening area, one on Hughes Road in Madison out towards City Hall and the other on South Parkway in Huntsville, down yonder by Whole Foods. Y'all check them out. And, and do me a favor, when you check out at the counter, tell them you heard about it on Right Side Radio. All right, I'm actually going to get into number three of the Triple Dipper. Doesn't always happen. I, I get some grief sometimes for not getting there. But usually that's because I've got so much content, we can't possibly do it. But listen, this one, I thought, you know, a few weeks ago, I actually ended the year, 2022, on what I called a high note, a positive note. Uh, I, just nothing but good news stories. And today I kept finding stories that just made me smile, made me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. But, you know, they're the kind that we have to remind ourselves are out there. I tweeted out two of them. One of them I just tweeted out this morning on my Twitter. You can, you can follow me on Twitter. We're on Instagram, Facebook, um, and I'm on Twitter personally, at Sin Phil Williams. That's S-E-N Phil Williams. But I, I tweeted this one out, and I said good people are still out there. And I love this. Story from AL.com. Uh, William Thornton wrote this. I know William Thornton. He's a good dude. He and his wife, Donna, have been reporting for years. William Thornton reported an Alabama farmer paid people's pharmacy bills, and the town learned his secret after he died. This is just good. This story came out yesterday. And it's up here in northeast Alabama. It says an Alabama farmer in rural DeKalb County, a little town called Geraldine. A little town called Geraldine that this gentleman... His name was Hody Buford Childress, went by Hody. Hody Childress used to go in every month. He would walk into the Geraldine drugstore on Ritchie Street, and he would give the pharmacist a $100 bill. He walked in very quietly. He just slipped her a $100 bill. His only instruction was use the money for anyone who can't afford their prescriptions and don't tell people where the money came from. And he said, don't tell a soul. If they ask, just tell them it's a blessing from the Lord. And he told her just to use her judgment as to who she ought to receive the help. Turns out that Hody was a retired uh, uh, Lockheed Martin product manager who, after he retired, became a farmer. 
He survived both his wife and his son. He lived quietly. He kept up that secret donation for years, the story says. Sometimes he would send someone to deliver the money when he wasn't feeling good himself, and they would walk in with an envelope, and they'd say, Hody said you'd know what to do with this. And she always did. And she used it for doing things like buying EpiPens for children for allergic reactions or families who were between insurances that couldn't pay for their bills and people leaving the hospital. And bottom line is nobody knew until he passed away, and then she decided she could tell the world. And those who knew him, and now it says, are establishing a Hody Children's Fund to continue the practice. You got to love that, man. I'm telling you, good people are still out there. They are. I mean, that, that's, that's a guy who was just making a little dent in his piece of the world. And, and that's the kind of story that we need to know. Every once in a while, when you look at all the wokeisms, when you talk about things that are happening that, that offend the sensibilities, when you talk about things like, you know, someone lashing out at you because you won't sacrifice your, your faith to follow their beliefs or, or you believe that, you know, spending should not go the way it should and you get aggravated with government, just remember there's people like Hody Childress that are still out there just doing something, just doing something. Here's a great one. So Octavia Spencer, who I love as an actress, I mean, she is great. And, and y'all know who I'm talking about. Octavia Spencer, she's from Alabama. Well, you know, one of the things that aggravates the stew out of me is people who don't know Alabama thinking they know Alabama. And they, they, don't, they don't recognize that so many of us live in this state because we love this state, because there's no other place we'd rather be. And because the you know, the claims of systemic racism and oppression and things that are wrong. And, and sometimes we are frustrated with stuff like the education system or whatever. Those are not Alabama. Those are things that can get fixed. And some of those, by the way, are perceptions that no longer exist. Well, Octavia Spencer, Academy Award-winning actress, she was on a podcast the other day. Uh, it's a liberal podcast with somebody named Mark Marin, M-A-R-O-N or Marone. Anyway, Mark Marin, I'll call him. And in the course of the podcast, she literally was asked how she felt about having grown up in Alabama. I think that the podcaster thought it was going to go a different way. So the topic came up. It says in the story here, I've got Fox News that came out this morning. So the topic came up when the actress spoke fondly of her upbringing in Montgomery, Alabama, which seemingly caught Marin off guard because of stereotypes about black people living in the Deep South because she's black. Spencer said, well, it's a beautiful place and beautiful people. You know, I love being from there. And Marin asked, but it's like heavy. It's heavy, man, right? <laughs> Whatever that means. And, and she responded, I think everywhere's heavy. Everywhere has its history. You know what I mean? And yeah, you can't deny that the Southern history is intense. But she went on to say that when she grew up, she said, what's beautiful for me is most of that stuff preceded me. I was a child of the 70s. She says, you know, as you grow older and things you can remember, that wasn't part of my history. I learned about it, but it's not everything. It's, it's not like it's the only thing that I've experienced. And, and he asked her, did your family experience racism? And she said, no. And then she said this. She said she actually experienced more racism when she moved to Los Angeles than she ever experienced when she grew up in Alabama. Thank you, Octavia Spencer. <laughs> Thank you very much for laying it out there and being real. She said, my, my mother definitely taught me, you know, about the world and realities. But growing up in Alabama, I'm going to be honest, I felt more racism when I moved here, L.A., than I ever, ever had in Alabama, she said. And she went on to talk about how when she first moved to L.A., she said it was like a, like a scene from the, the movie Pretty Woman. 
She went into a store, and they began following her around. She said that had never happened when she was in Alabama. Love that. I'm telling you, there's good news stories still out there. And there are people that are from here that go other places that still love being from here. I'm, I'm telling you, I've been all over this world, y'all. I've, I've, I've had a chance to be in multiple foreign countries. I've resided in some foreign countries. I've had a chance to visit others. I've been in multiple states. I've lived in multiple states. This is home. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. All right, I got a story here. This one came off of the Good News Network, so you can imagine it's a good news story. So this one is dated January 18th. So if you remember a few weeks ago when I did that whole segment on good news stories, there was the dude during the blizzard in Buffalo, New York, who literally saved, we literally believed he saved 24 lives. He was stuck in the blizzard. I mean, I'm talking, folks, Buffalo, New York got something like five feet of snow in a day. It was a lot even for Buffalo. I mean, Buffalo knows snow. Buffalo don't know this kind of snow. And they got inundated, and the temperatures were down at zero, literally, down around zero. And this guy named Jay Withy, if you remember the story, he broke into a school because there were people like him that were trapped on the road, and they couldn't go anywhere, and they were going to freeze to death in their cars. And so he went and broke a window at a school, and he started ushering people in the doors. And then he went around the school, and he found, like he went to the nurse's office, and he got granola bars and, and bottled water, and he went to the kitchen, and he found apples and juice and cereal, and he had everybody sit in the, uh, in the uh, cafeteria, and they all ate, and they rode out the storm together. And then the next morning, when they left, they cleaned up after themselves, and it says that if it hadn't been for the broken window and the alarm that got triggered, no one would have known that they had been there. And literally, one of the group even went back the next day to bring, to bring back a, a new granola bars and, and to inquire about how much to replace the window. Well, the Buffalo Bills found out about it. And so the good news story I've got as a follow-up to that one is the Buffalo Bills made sure he had Super Bowl tickets. And you got to love that. So literally, um, Thurman Thomas, legendary former Bills running back, uh, delivered Super Bowl tickets to this guy, Jay Wythe, a 27-year-old mechanic and a hero, and thanked him for saving lives. That is just epic cool, and I love it. All right, well, I'll tell you what, uh, let's go ahead and take the break right now. We'll do that real quick. We'll take the first break about a minute earlier than usual. We'll come right back and wrap this up. I got a few more of these stories. Number three on the Triple Dippers is called It Ain't All Bad, because it ain't. There's a lot of goodness out there, y'all. There's a lot of people still doing stuff. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. back phil williams right side radio solid conservative just plain right making it cool to be a conservative hey before i go any further folks you hear me talk about riley and jackson law firm all the time so as you're driving down the road right now on your way home or getting ready to go yeah you, you may be thinking all right there's that thing that happened to me and i wish i knew what i could do about it well riley and jackson law firm these are friends of mine i know them personally they're a great firm a large firm 
based out of Birmingham, but they operate statewide. They have made a career off of helping people be made whole after the negligence of others. And so if you've got a situation in your life and you're wondering, what do I do about that? Maybe an injury or maybe a contract issue or something else. I'm just going to tell you, Riley and Jackson, they can, you can call them. You can talk through it with, with a real person on the phone. They'll tell you where they think they got a case or you got a case they can handle. And, and they won't charge you for the call. And oh, by the way, they won't get paid ever unless they get you paid. So the end result is this. It would behoove you to call them and just check it out if you believe you've got an actionable offense that you're dealing with. So, yeah, Riley and Jackson, based out of Birmingham, operates everywhere in the state. Here's their number. You ready? 205-879-5000. That's Riley and Jackson, 205-879-5000. And do me a favor. Tell them you heard about it on Right Side Radio. Here's that thing I got to do. <gasps> No representation made the quality legal service before with according to the law quality service before the other lawyers. I think I said it all. I think that was English. I'm pretty sure it works. <laughs> anyway, we're there. Got some great text messages coming in. The uh, uh, I can't tell you how many uh, poop emojis I got in the last few minutes after that whole thing about the pooper scoopers. Uh, by the way, Rita from Scottsboro says, hi, Boomer Daddy. So, uh, Boomer Daddy, you, you got you got a shout out. Oh, hey, <laughs> hey, everybody! <laughs> Boomer Daddy had to step in and run the board for him for a few minutes while he's heading out. Um, we've got so much stuff here in the text messages, but uh, one of them, uh, one of the best ones I saw was Brian from Huntsville. Uh, Brian from Huntsville said, with regards to the resume, the former job, Pooper Scooper, said it sounds like the White House spokeswoman. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's uh, good. That's, oh, that's, that's, so, that's so, so awful, so good. Um, and then uh, Ken from Harvest says, on a resume, they might call that something else besides the poop patrol. It might be a feces facilitator. It might be a pooper scooper. That's that one. It might be a hazardous waste remediator. I, you know what? That's the one that I'm pretty sure they're using. Hazardous waste remediator. I can just see it. Uh, Jason from Huntsville, with regards to the story about Octavia Spencer, he said, that gave me chills. Octavia owned that dude. Yes. Yes, it did. Um, Raven from uh, Russellville said, for those of us who have been downrange, Sweet Home Alabama has a meaning most will never know. I agree, brother. I totally agree. Thank you for your service again. Uh, JT from Lacey Springs <laughs> says, how many can acclaim that they have a poop pyramid? Colonel Phil gets a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> It's so good. A poop pyramid. Uh, <laughs> disclaimer, 2.8. <laughs> uh, anyway, hey, rocking through the last of these stories. When I did that section a few weeks ago where I had good news stories, I just did you the follow-up a moment ago about the guy who saved those people's lives in the, um, in the blizzard in Buffalo. All right, here's another follow-up. A story we had that day. There's an 82-year-old Navy veteran who was working at Walmart as a greeter. And um, a guy named Rory McCarty saw him and, and sort of talked to him one day and was really taken aback by the guy. Here he was, he's 82 years old, and he was working. And why was he working? He was working because when he retired from General Motors, the, the older gentleman, his name was Mr. McCarty. I'm sorry, it was uh, uh, Mr. Marion. Uh, when he was retiring from General Motors, he retired so he could go take care of his ex-wife's husband. I mean, picture that, first of all. There's some benevolence. There's some, there's some goodness. Go take care of his ex-wife's husband, according to a previous report. After the husband's death, 
he then took care of his ex-wife and then took care of her till she passed away. But he had so many bills that he wound up having to go back to work. And so he's working at 82 years old every day at Walmart. Well, this guy, Rory McCarty, heard the story. He said he walked into the store and he, 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 he saw Marion actually ringing up items at the checkout line that day. And he, and he posted the video on TikTok. And he explained how his own faith in Jesus Christ had prompted him to do something for this, this guy and to give something back. So he, he opened a GoFundMe account. He asked people to, to do some things because he had seen it happen in other places. He raised $108,000 for elderly Mr. Butch Marion. He raised $108,000. Here's the follow-up. It says, Marion, a grandfather who had done all those things I told you about, um, he literally said that that, that $108,000 has made him feel like a bird out of a cage now. He's paid off his debts. He's going to get to go see his family that lives down south after he hasn't seen them in multiple years because of COVID and everything else. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's just, that's just one guy saying, my faith tells me to do something. My relationship with Jesus Christ says, I'm, I'm going to do something. And so he just did. And he raised $108,000 for an 82-year-old Navy veteran who no longer has to work at Walmart to make ends meet. That's just cool. I got a couple more. You know, earlier in the show, Boomer Daddy, I did a segment. I don't know if you heard it or not. I, I called it Bowing Up. And it's where we have to start pushing back sometimes. You have to start saying something. I'm not talking about getting in fights, but I'm just talking about literally not letting things go. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got a whole series of people not letting things go. You know, mm-hmm. we've got, we've got, I've got this piece off of Fox News. It says, in the face of crime and danger, Americans stepped up to help complete strangers in 2022. And then it says, people are amazing. We've got one here, a restaurant owner at a swanky Hollywood place uh, called, uh, what was the name of this one? Called Shin, I believe. He saw a guy sucker punch an elderly man on the sidewalk. And he took him down, literally took him down and held him for over nine minutes until the police got there. Literally held the guy on the ground, wasn't going to let him go. He said, adrenaline kind of kicked in. He said, I'm not going to lie. The adrenaline was a lot at that point. Afterward, it was exhausting. It felt like I worked out for the whole day. But, but that's just, he just saw a thing happen. He said, I can't let this go. And that's, you know, how many times do we see now where the response is to get the phone out and just video it so you can live stream it off your, your, your social media? And that's so true, man. It's so sad, too. It is, Absolutely. But, uh, but these stories keep on going. It's a string of these stories. One of them was, I love this. In the Atlantic hurricane season, it says something like 150 people died in Hurricane Ian in Florida alone. One lady was living out in Las Vegas. Her, her mother was an 84-year-old who lived in Florida and was in the hurricane area, and she could not reach her mother. Her cell phone was out. Her landline had gone down. The evacuation team had already been through her neighborhood, and they had not been to her house for whatever reason. And so she posted on social media asking for anyone in that area to please check on her mother. And one lady, a young lady who's 26 years old named Cheyenne Previtt, waded out into the waters, went and found her mom. Good people are everywhere, y'all. It ain't all bad. I'm just telling you. All right, Right Side Ruffians, you guys have an amazing weekend. We burned through another week. Boomer and I will be back here at 2. Boomer Daddy, thank you for sitting in for the last little bit. It was my pleasure, Mr. Phil. <laughs> it was my pleasure. All right, folks. Solid, conservative, and just plain right. We'll see you Monday.
right side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, just plain right.